0: Section two of the Argonautica. This is a LibriVox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. The Argonautica by Apollonius Rhodius. Translated by R. C. Seaton. Section two book one part two he spake and started forth to leave the house and as apollo goes forth from some fragrant shrine to divine delos or claros or pitho or to broad laea near the stream of xanthus in such beauty moved jason through the throng of people and a cry arose as they shouted together. And there met him aged Iphias, priestess of Artemis, guardian of the city, and kissed his right hand, but she had not strength to say a word for all her eagerness, as the crowd rushed on, but she was left there by the wayside, as the old are left by the young and he passed on and was gone afar now when he had left the well-built streets of the city he came to the beach of pagasai where his comrades greeted him as they stayed together near the ship argo and he stood at the entering inn and they were gathered to meet him and they perceived aastus and argus coming from the city and they marvelled when they saw them hasting with all speed despite the will of Peleus. The one, Argus, son of Arestor, had cast round his shoulders the hide of a bull reaching to his feet with the black hair upon it, the other a fair mantle of double fold which his sister Pelopea had given him. Still Jason forbore from asking them about each point, but bade all be seated for an assembly. And there, upon the folded sails and the mast as it lay on the ground, they all took their seats in order. And among them with good will spake Aeson's son. All the equipment that a ship needs for all is in due order lies ready for our departure therefore we will make no long delay in our sailing for these things sake when the breezes but blow fair but friends for common to all is our return to hellas hereafter and common to all is our path to the land of aeetes now therefore with ungrudging heart choose the bravest to be our leader, who shall be careful for everything, to take upon him our quarrels and covenants with strangers. Thus he spake, and the young heroes turned their eyes towards bold Heracles sitting in their midst, and with one shout they all enjoined upon him to be their leader. But he, from the place where he sat, stretched forth his right hand and said let no one offer this honor to me for i will not consent and i will forbid any other to stand up let the hero who brought us together himself be the leader of the host thus he spake with high thoughts and they assented as heracles bade and warlike jason himself rose up glad at heart and thus addressed the eager throng if ye entrust your glory to my care no longer as before let our path be hindered now at last let us propitiate phoebus with sacrifice and straightway prepare a feast and until my thralls come THE OVERSEERS OF MY STEADING, WHOSE CARE IT IS TO CHOOSE OUT OXEN FROM THE HERD AND DRIVE THEM HITHER, WE WILL DRAG DOWN THE SHIP TO THE SEA, AND DO YE PLACE ALL THE TACKLING WITHIN, AND DRAW LOTS FOR THE BENCHES FOR ROWING. MEANTIME LET US BUILD UPON THE BEACH AN ALTAR TO APOLLO EMBASIUS, WHO BY AN ORACLE PROMISED TO POINT OUT AND SHOW ME THE PATHS OF THE SEA if by sacrifice to him I should begin my venture for king Pelias. He spake, and was the first to turn to the work, and they stood up in obedience to him, and they heaped their garments one upon the other on a smooth stone which the sea did not strike with its waves, but the stormy surge had cleansed it long before. First of all, by the command of argus they strongly girded the ship with a rope well twisted within stretching it tight on each side in order that the planks might be well compacted by the bolts and might withstand the opposing force of the surge and they quickly dug a trench as wide as the space the ship covered and at the prow as far into the sea as it would run when drawn down by their hands and they ever dug deeper in front of the stem and in the furrow laid polished rollers and inclined the ship down upon the first rollers that so she might glide and be borne on by them and above on both sides reversing the oars they fastened them round the thole pins so as to project a cubit's space and the heroes themselves stood on both sides at the oars in a row and pushed forward with chest and hand at once and then Tiphys leapt on board to urge the youths to push at the right moment and calling on them he shouted loudly and they at once leaning with all their strength with one push, started the ship from her place and strained with their feet, forcing her onward and Pelian Argo followed swiftly, and they on each side shouted as they rushed on and Then the rollers groaned under the sturdy keel as they were chafed, and round them rose up a dark smoke, owing to the weight. And she glided into the sea. But the heroes stood there and kept dragging her back as she sped onward. And round the thole pins they fitted the oars, and in the ship they placed the mast, and the well made sails, and the stores. Now, when they had carefully paid heed to everything, first they distributed the benches by lot two men occupying one seat but the middle bench they chose for heracles and anchaeus apart from the other heroes anchaeus who dwelt in tegea for them alone they left the middle bench just as it was and not by lot and with one consent they entrusted Tiphys with guarding the helm of the well-stemmed ship Next, piling up shingle near the sea, they raised there an altar on the shore to Apollo, under the name of Actius and Embasius, and quickly spread above it logs of dried olive wood. Meantime the herdsmen of Aeson's son had driven before them from the herd two steers. These the younger comrades dragged near the altars AND THE OTHERS BROUGHT LUSTRAL WATER AND BARLEY-MEAL, AND JASON PRAYED, CALLING ON APOLLO, THE GOD OF HIS FATHERS. HERE, O KING, THAT DWELLEST IN PAGASAI, AND THE CITY AESONIS, THE CITY CALLED BY MY FATHER'S NAME, THOU WHO DIDST PROMISE ME, WHEN I SOUGHT THY ORACLE AT PYTHO, TO SHOW THE FULFILLMENT AND GOAL OF MY JOURNEY, for thou thyself hast been the cause of my venture now do thou thyself guide the ship with my comrades safe and sound thither and back again to hellas then in thy honor hereafter we will lay again on thy altar the bright offerings of bulls all of us who return and other gifts, in countless numbers, I will bring to Pitho and Ortigia. And now come, far darter, accept this sacrifice at our hands, which first of all we have offered thee for this ship on our embarkation. And grant, O king, that with a prosperous wind I may loose the hawsers relying on thy counsel, and may the breeze blow softly with which we shall sail over the sea in fair weather he spake and with his prayer cast the barley meal and they too girded themselves to slay the steers proud anchaeus and heracles the latter with his club smote one steer mid-head on the brow and. Falling in a heap on the spot, it sank to the ground. And Ancaeus struck the broad neck of the other with his axe of bronze, and shore through the mighty sinews, and it fell prone on both its horns. Their comrades quickly severed the victims' throats and flayed the hides. They sundered the joints and carved the flesh, then cut out the sacred thigh-bones and covering them all together closely with fat burnt them upon cloven wood and aeson's son poured out pure libations and idmon rejoiced beholding the flame as it gleamed on every side from the sacrifice and the smoke of it mounting up with good omen in dark spiral columns and quickly he spake outright the will of Leto's son. For you it is the will of heaven and destiny that ye shall return here with the fleece. But meanwhile, both going and returning, countless trials await you. But it is my lot, by the hateful decree of a god, to die somewhere afar off, on the mainland of asia thus though i learnt my fate from evil omens even before now i have left my fatherland to embark on the ship that so after my embarking fair fame may be left me in my house thus he spake and the youths hearing the divine utterance rejoiced at their return but grief seized them for the fate of idmon now at the hour when the sun passes his noontide halt and the ploughlands are just being shadowed by the rocks as the sun slopes towards the evening dusk at that hour all the heroes spread leaves thickly upon the sand and lay down in rows in front of the hoary surf line and near them were spread vast stores of viands and sweet wine which the cup-bearers had drawn off in pitchers afterwards they told tales one to another in turn such as youths often tell when at the feast and the bowl they take delightful pastime and insatiable insolence is far away but here the son of Aeson, all helpless was brooding over each event in his mind, like one oppressed with thought. And Idas noted him, and assailed him with loud voice, Son of Aeson, what is this plan thou art turning over in mind? Speak out thy thought in the midst. Does fear come on and master thee, fear that confounds cowards? be witness now my impetuous spear wherewith in wars i win renown beyond all others nor does zeus aid me so much as my own spear that no woe will be fatal no venture will be unachieved while idas follows even though a god should oppose thee such a helpmeet am i that thou bringest from arene He spake and holding a brimming goblet in both hands drank off the unmixed sweet wine and his lips and dark cheeks were drenched with it and all the heroes clamoured together and idmon spoke out openly vain wretch thou art devising destruction for thyself before the time does the pure wine cause thy bold heart to swell in thy breast to thy ruin and has it set thee on to dishonor the gods other words of comfort there are with which a man might encourage his comrade but thou hast spoken with utter recklessness such taunts the tale goes did the sons of aloeus once blurt out against the blessed gods and thou dost nowise equal them in valor nevertheless they were both slain by the swift arrows of leto's son mighty though they were thus he spake and apharaean Idas laughed out loud and long and eyeing him askance replied with biting words come now tell me this by thy prophetic art whether for me too the gods will bring to pass such doom as thy father promised for the sons of Aloeus, and bethink thee how thou wilt escape from my hands alive if thou art caught making a prophecy vain as the idle wind thus in wrath idas reviled him and the strife would have gone further had not their comrades and aeson's son himself with indignant cry restrained the contending chiefs and orpheus lifted his lyre in his left hand and made essay to sing he sang how the earth the heaven and the sea once mingled together in one form after deadly strife were separated each from other and. How the stars and the moon and the paths of the sun ever keep their fixed place in the sky, and how the mountains rose, and how the resounding rivers with their nymphs came into being, and all creeping things. And he sang how first of all Ophion and Eurynome, daughter of Ocean, held the sway of snowy Olympus and how through strength of arm one yielded his prerogative to Cronos, and the other to Rhea, and how they fell into the waves of ocean. But the other two, meanwhile, ruled over the blessed Titan gods, while Zeus, still a child and with the thoughts of a child, dwelt in the Dictaean cave, and the earth-born Cyclopes had not yet armed him with the bolt, with thunder and lightning, for these things give renown to Zeus. He ended, and stayed his lyre and divine voice. But though he had ceased, they still bent forward with eagerness, all hushed to quiet, with ears intent on the enchanting strain such a charm of song had he left behind in their hearts not long after they mixed libations in honor of zeus with pious rites as is customary and poured them upon the burning tongues and bethought them of sleep in the darkness now when gleaming dawn with bright eyes beheld the lofty peaks of pelion and the calm headlands were being drenched as the sea was ruffled by the winds, then Typhus awoke from sleep, and at once he roused his comrades to go on board and make ready the oars. And a strange cry did the harbor of Pegasai utter, yea, and Pelian Argo herself, urging them to set forth. For in her a beam divine had been laid, which Athena had brought from an oak of Dodona, and fitted in the middle of the stem. And the heroes went to the benches one after the other, as they had previously assigned for each to row in his place, and took their seats in due order near their fighting gear. In the middle sat Antaeus and mighty Heracles, And near him he laid his club and beneath his tread the ship's keel sank deep and now the hawsers were being slipped and they poured wine on the sea but jason with tears held his eyes away from his fatherland and just as youths set up a dance in honor of phoebus either in pitho or haply in ortigia Or by the waters of ismenus and to the sound of the lyre round his altar all together in time beat the earth with swiftly moving feet so they to the sound of orpheus's lyre smote with their oars the rushing sea-water and the surge broke over the blades and on this side and on that the dark brine seethed with foam boiling terribly through the might of the sturdy heroes. And their arms shone in the sun like flame as the ship sped on, and ever their wake gleamed white, far behind, like a path seen over a green plain. On that day all the gods looked down from heaven upon the ship and the might of the heroes, Half divine the bravest of men then sailing the sea and on the topmost heights the nymphs of pelion wondered as they beheld the work of etonian athena and the heroes themselves wielding the oars and there came down from the mountain top to the sea chiron son of philyra and where the white surf broke he dipped his feet and, often waving with his broad hand, cried out to them at their departure, good speed and a sorrowless home return. And with him his wife, bearing Peleus's son Achilles, on her arm, showed the child to his dear father. Now when they had left the curving shore of the harbour, through the cunning and counsel of prudent Tiphys son of Hagnias, who skillfully handled the well-polished helm, that he might guide them steadfastly. Then at length they set up the tall mast in the mast-box, and secured it with four stays, drawing them taut on each side, and from it they let down the sail when they had hauled it to the topmast. And a breeze came down, piping shrilly, and upon the deck they fastened the ropes separately round the well polished pins, and ran quietly past the long Tisan headland. And for them the son of Iagris touched his lyre and sang in rhythmical song of Artemis, saviour of ships, child of a glorious sire, who hath in her keeping those peaks by the sea, and the land of Iolcos and the fishes came darting through the deep sea great mixed with small and followed gambling along the watery paths and as when in the track of the shepherd their master countless sheep follow to the fold that have fed to the full of grass and he goes before gaily piping a shepherd's strain on iris shrill reed so these fishes followed and a chasing breeze ever bore the ship onward and straightway the misty land of the Pelasgians, rich in cornfields sank out of sight and ever speeding onward they passed the rugged sides of pelion and the sepian headland sank away and Skiathus appeared in the sea and far off appeared And the calm shore of Magnesia on the mainland, and the tomb of Dolops. Here then, in the evening, as the wind blew against them, they put to land, and paying honor to him at nightfall, burnt sheep as victims, while the sea was tossed by the swell. And for two days they lingered on the shore, but on the third day they put forth the ship spreading on high the broad sail and even now men call that beach a of argo thence going forward they ran past meliboya escaping a stormy beach and surf line and in the morning they saw homole close at hand leaning on the sea and skirted it and not long after They were about to pass by the outfall of the river Amirus. From there they beheld Eurymenae and the sea-washed ravines of Ossa and Olympus. Next they reached the slopes of Pelene, beyond the headland of Canastra, running all night with the wind. And at dawn, before them as they journeyed, rose Athos the Thracian mountain, which with its topmost peak overshadows Lemnus even as far as Mirene, though it lies as far off as the space that a well-trimmed merchant ship would traverse up to midday. For them on that day, till darkness fell, the breeze blew exceedingly fresh, and the sails of the ship strained to it. But with the setting of the sun, the wind left them, and it was by the oars that they reached Lemnos, the Cynthian isle. End of section two.